just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence with John Ball from presentinfluence.com. Each week, we talk about presentation skills and public speaking and the tools of influence and persuasion with experts and incredible guests. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Speaking of Influence is uploaded and distributed to all major podcast networks through Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is the simplest way to get your podcast started with tons of great resources for new podcasters. You can start your podcast today. Follow the link in the show notes. Welcome back to the Speaking of Influence podcast. I'm really excited to bring another amazing guest, uh, an amazing lady who works in the area of executive coaching. She is the founder of her Mastery Under Pressure program with a clinical background, which really helps in the area of coaching. And she is coaching people in the high-pressured, high-stress environments of business leadership. Please welcome to the show, Tina Greenbaum. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really pleased that you came on the show and that you agreed to appear as a guest because when we had our chat a little while ago about discussing what we would talk about in an episode, not only were you delightful, but you you clearly know your stuff as well. You're very experienced and you have uh, an amazing background for what you do. Perhaps you can share some of that for the audience. Sure. So I started my career as a teacher in special education and quickly moved over to the field of um, psychotherapy because I really liked the idea of getting into the heads of people and kids and families. And so I went back to school and I got my master's in social work and I started out working with women with eating disorders. They were my first um, clients and nobody had ever treated eating disorders before. This was 30 some years ago and it was like a novelty. So they gave us a a manual that said alcoholism, crossed it out, put eating disorders. Oh they said, go, you know, to us beginning therapists. And so very early on, I realized that my traditional psychotherapy practice was really insufficient for dealing with people that were so complicated. And so I got my first clue at a yoga class where I got into that deep state of relaxation. I said, wow, if I could only get those young women to do this, then maybe they wouldn't need their eating disorder. And that was the beginning for me of the mind-body connection. Because I used to say to them, it's like, I hear you, but I don't feel you. And if I don't feel you, you're not going to (laughs) change. And so the fundamental question that I've used my entire, really, career has been, what, what can I do that will help you change at a fundamental level? Because the body gets triggered before the mind gets triggered. And so we could talk, 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 talk. But somehow or other, 
the talking wasn't changing the behavior. Right. And so that led me to all kinds of things about how do I get under the conscious mind because that's where everything is laid down. And the body is, a, has, is an amazing, amazing um, vehicle and instrument for us to learn how to use and be able to connect to because that's where our information is. So when they say mind-body, it's, it's real. <laughs> and now the neuroscience has, you know, has kind of taken away and um, you know, things that the, the ancient gurus have known for centuries and centuries, the science is now proving it. So right. I'm not, you know, so all the things that I, you know, kind of looked at in terms of spiritual stuff and, and all, names of all kinds of things, EMDR and EFT and TFT and all these, these techniques or strategies that get under the conscious mind, we're now coming into a synergy really between this mind-body connection. Yeah, interestingly, I was uh, reading a fascinating article. I like to read science magazines in my spare time. I'm a bit nerdy. I like all the new tech and scientific developments. And they, they cover a lot of the magazine like covers a lot of the developments in neuroscience and psychology as well. And that there is investigation now more into the understanding that the, the brain isn't necessarily the seat of consciousness as we have been assuming that it is for all right. these that's right. And there's a lot of evidence now to suggest that really it's our whole body, that the, the brain doesn't carry consciousness by itself. It's more like uh, uh, sort of the, the in and out. And certainly there is levels of it there, but it seems that our whole body there's is... A, there's an amazing connection between the gut, the gut and the brain. Right. And so there's a nerve, it's called the vagal nerve, the vagus nerve, that goes from the brain to the gut. And all the emo- there's a lot of things called emotional molecules. And... You know, again, coming back to to yoga and chakras and the the centers of these energies, there's a lot of um, you know things that connect us to different parts of the brain. So mm. it's pretty fascinating stuff. It is. It is an interesting area, and I know that in in neuroscience we're still scratching the surface, really, as well. Um, but you you developed your business more into uh, working with executives, so from that sort of therapeutic side. What what was that path what took you from working with like people with eating disorders into working with now like that's a, that's a great question john because it's been an evolution right so what i learned from these young women was really just about anything and everything that you could want to know about people because they had everything you know depression anxiety and stress and and all kinds of things and so but what i learned from them and then moving on to just many other different kinds of clients with uh very high functioning people. There were a lot of people that just had no skill. So we would talk about, you know, all kinds of things that were psychologically based. And you could tell me about your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, but what were you going to do when you got in front of an audience? What were you going to do if you wanted to do a podcast? What were you going to, you know, podcasts weren't, you know, there then, but but a performance, or you were an actor or a dancer, or you were a, a financial person and you had to make a presentation and all these different things that how do I stop that, that my heart like kind of racing or, you know, I do really well in practice, but when it comes to, you know, being in front of a judge or being in front of a, you know, my senior executive, I just kind of fall apart and all those kinds of questions over and over and over again. And at the same time, I, I was raising three sons and two of my sons were very competitive soccer players and one, you know, extremely talented up to the, you know, had a dream about being a professional player and went to the national level. And, 
And so I used to say, I don't know a lot about soccer or football, where you are, um, but I know a lot about psychology. And so I started studying sports psychology. And sports psychology is actually Eastern thought. So mm -hmm. here were the merging of a lot of my interests in terms of spirituality and, and, you know, and sport and business and, and, and the arts. And I lived in Washington, D.C., so I worked with a lot of lawyers. And then I moved to New York and a lot of actors, dancers, performers, financial people, bank people, you know, all kinds of high-pressured people. Now I'm out in San Francisco, and so it's tech and founders. And, but as human beings, we all have the same issues, no matter where you are, no matter where you live, <laughs> and where you are on that level of survival. Uh, we need these skills. So remember, I started out as a teacher. And so I really, you know, we don't have a name. You ask me what kind of executive coaching or this or that. I'm really a teacher. And um, so this mastery under pressure came out of every period of my life where I've gone through another something, <laughs> another tragedy, another event, another. Uh, once I get through it to the other side, then I can teach it. And I figured, well, if I've gone through it, so have you. You know, I lost my parents in a car accident, you know, when I was 42. And it's like, not the first person in the world that has experienced this as tragic and as awful as it was. Okay, so what can I then teach? Then I had cancer. So it was like, then I love dancing. So I put it together as cancer dancer. <laughs> and then my second husband is a tennis uh, instructor. And he would say to his kids, you got to go out there. You got to be aggressive. You got to be confident. I said, great. They just don't have a clue how to do it but I know how to teach him how to do it. So then we created a program, it was called Tennis to the Max, where I would teach the mental side and then he would take the students on the court and put that into practice. So all these skills, no matter which vertical, you know, I work with, um, it's the same skills. Uh, different people need them at different levels. Yeah. So I start out with like, if you were to think of a continuum, anxiety is at one level and then peak performance is, is at, the top level. And so we have to learn how to manage all those feelings to be able to perform in high pressured situations at a top, top, top level. Yeah. And then working with executives, I love working with really big minds and creative minds and people that impact a great number of people. So as I just said, all these skills, everybody, if you're living and breathing, people need them. Oh, no, I can I can relate to a great degree to that. I've been coaching for a long time, and internationally, you know, my client base is global, and right. people from different careers, different backgrounds, different countries, and experiences, and you know, as different as you can possibly be. And yet, as you say, generally, the needs are the same. There's mostly the same kinds of things come up over and over again. Otherwise, I'd be having to learn to coach again. Exactly. A different, <laughs> a different area or a different, different country that I spoke to right. something. So, so from a marketing perspective, right, we say you have to have a particular, you know, it's not good marketing to say I can help everybody. Right. But the truth is, if you're part of the human condition, right, just in, as in your business, you can help everybody. Yeah, of course, everyone can benefit from it. But yeah, like say marketing perspective, you have to focus in on who you want to help the most and uh, and perhaps exactly. where you're going to have the best fit with your own style and the way you want to do things. Exactly. Uh, 
and as well, you know, we're all we're all holistic beings. We don't just have one element of our lives that needs to work on. It's like it's always more than one thing, and nearly always they cross into each other as well. So it's like when you work on improving one part of your life, it usually starts to bring up some other things as well and take things to uh, that higher level. But you've got a good bit of personal development. I can hear it, John. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, fascinated by personal development for a long time and then moved into working in it, uh, say, probably some 15 years ago, really, and then over that time moving into it full time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it as an area, and uh, I'm not always going to stay coaching in some capacity with people. Uh, with, but how that looks has varied for me as well. So it's really interesting to hear your journey from from working in, in a school to actually going and working with um, C-suite kind of people at uh, a high level, high performance, that it, it makes so much sense. It sounds like a huge gaping difference. And yet you can really see, yeah, it's not so different. You're still a teacher. It's just different kinds of teaching. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, well, you've reinvented yourself. And I said, really not. I really haven't, I, you know, maybe the venue and the people, but I've had the same mission because so I went back and I looked at some of my stuff from years and years and years ago. And I think this is really helpful for people just in terms of what you and I are talking about in terms of, and you said it so beautifully, you know, different, we're attracted to different kinds of people based on who we are and the skills that we have and, you know, our energies and, and uh, so I've never really ve- veered away from this, this mission really is to, and I still have my, you know, my mission statements to ignite people's imagination that they too can be something that they never thought was even possible. And having, you know, kind of bringing it back to who you are as a person and your own developmental, you know, pieces um, and finding that fit. And then you just, you know, keep going. And it may look different, different people, different things, but it's the same essence of who you are. Yeah, I, I like that. And um, so I want to ask you about um, peak performance. So um, I guess the, burst, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that the word flow. And I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Mikhail. Yeah, there, there you go. I, okay. <laughs> I should study it one time and really memorize it. But um, he, he really, really coined that wonderful statement of, of that experience when you're in your just exactly kind of what we were talking about in different words. You're in your, your flow, you're in your element. And so there are certain things that happen in the brain. And that's where a lot of, he was a psychologist, he is a psychologist. And, and when you are doing what you have been trained to do, and that it, it is your, you have the talent and the training, and those things come together at one time, and your performance becomes natural. It becomes something that is, feels almost supernatural. Yeah. That actually, you know, the mind expands, time slows down, and um, there is nothing but, you know, people talk about, you know, when they, if they were to see a ball that was this, you know, certain small, and then it becomes bigger, and that's all they see. So the brain cooperates with all this practice and training. So that's really kind of when we think about it mostly, even from a sports performance, 
but when you're a speaker, right? So we, and I'm a speaker. Yeah. So we, we talk about that time where it's just like, oh my God, it's over. You know, we just started this thing and, you know, the audience was so engaged and I was engaged and I was just feeling like really, really on the top of my game. And so that's sort of that performance, but also we just saw the other night, um, um, Tom Hanks in the Greyhound, uh, which was a submarine, you know, it was, it was the fight across the Atlantic during World War II. Okay. And he was a captain of a ship and they had 48 hours where there was no air coverage. And so, and they were being attacked. Right. And, and just kind of watching his level of, of competence and quick thinking and, you know, and, and what he, at the end, sort of, you know, he turned around and his feet were all bloody because he'd been standing on his feet for 48 hours and, you know, just completely connected to what was happening and, and high, 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 high. It doesn't get much more high pressure than that. Um, but able to keep that level of, of calm because the leader sets the pace for everybody else. And so when, and the thing that about really, really great leaders and peak performance is they set a tone, they set an energy, they set a presence and in energy, you know, speaking, you know, in terms of energy, we, we resonate with the highest form of energy. Love is the highest form of energy. And so when we're around people who are loving people, that energy trumps <laughs> the, the, you know, the lower energies. And so great leaders can see things that other people can't see more quickly. You know, they anticipate what's happening. And, mm-hmm. and, and so if we can teach groups of people, teams of people to these skills that great Olympic athlete, athletes train, then why wouldn't you have a team that was performing at a level that most others wouldn't? Yeah. So I would say that if you have two athletes that are, that are or it doesn't have to be athletes, it could be two competitors in anything that have the same level of competency, but one is trained in the mental side and the other isn't, that person's going to win, hands down. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is the, the inner game is, is just as important as the outer game, right? That's right. And so I teach, in, in the program, I teach focus, relaxation, dealing with negative self-talk, how to visualize, and dealing with fear. And so those are the, that's the curriculum. Mm. And again, applicable to no matter what field you're in. And the more you train, the more quickly you see these things. You know, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, or I'm working with you and I can, I can feel your energy. I can feel you're starting to get really, really anxious. So I already, I'm tuned into you, you know, and I might just say, John, just go take a break. You know, I, I got your back. I got you covered. I think, I think it's, it's interesting how attitudes often run or at least perceptions of attitudes within corporate environments and, and within the business world in general that, you know, men particularly, are, well, I think women as well probably are supposed to be tough. You're supposed to be hard-nosed and, you know, and things like talking about love and energy and relaxation don't often appear in those environments. So, so what sort of changes do you notice in the people who you work with? Well, it, you know, it's funny that you say that because years ago, I probably would have couched all that conversation in some other language. 
you know, rather than using the word energy or spiritual or this or that. My ex-husband used to say to me, don't let anybody know what you're doing because they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say that while we're doing this, this um, podcast today, the coronavirus has brought people to their knees, mm. literally to their knees. And all of a sudden, mental health, whew, you know, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> We're talking about meditation. We're talking about mindfulness. We're talking about this mind-body stuff. And and again, the neuroscience, God bless, has really helped me tremendously because for people who are very scientific and don't believe in any of this stuff, um, we have proof. We have proof. And so depending on my audience, I I watch, you know, I'm, I'm careful about my language. But I also... But I also bring out just exactly what you do. You know, you might think this stuff was crazy, you know, and years ago people might have thought that I was crazy. I have never been, I have never been, you know, somebody that lives in the clouds. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know people like that. There's some people who start out very, very psychic and have very few practical skills. I went the other way. I'm very practical. And then through my own personal development and all the things that I've done and trained, my, my more creative side, my more intuitive side has emerged. Yeah. And so, as I said, I, I can bring this stuff down to pretty everyday language, but because we're all human, we all have experiences. So in high pressure situations, we all know people that make us crazy. <laughs> we all have bosses that... Um, that can't handle the pressure very well or don't know how to speak to people so that they actually will listen. Yeah. And, and just learning to f- change your phrasing around can make all the difference in the world. What, what kind of exercises might you do with, uh, with someone who's a, in a very high-stress position just to help them bring their stress level down? So I start out with... And the way that my program is designed is exactly for that exact reason. In order, we need to have a calm body in order to have a clear mind. So that when we're very anxious, our breath is very, very short and shallow. You think about hyperventilation and people who get, you know, overexcited. So when that happens, the brain, the, the good thinking part of the brain, this prefrontal cortex goes offline. And so, you know, our, our thoughts and we can't, you know, our mind is foggy. We can't, we can't focus really well. So I start with teaching people how to breathe, how to, how to really calm down the nervous system so that, and and it's an exercise. This is training. Again, we're using the, I always say that if you were an Olympic level athlete, you would no sooner go out there to compete without training this mental side. And yet we put people into these high-pressured situations. So they, they train that for a reason. And when, you, when, you, when you've done this over and over and over and over and over again, just like any other skill, it's there for you. Yeah. So it's not just, it's, yeah, yes, when you're anxious, you know, is to take a deep breath. But what would happen if you were, had trained your nervous system to operate at a, a more functional level? all the time. So this is why I talk about it. So imagine that you have this level of tolerance for stress. So for anybody that's just listening, let's just say I have about 
four inches between my two hands. Mm -hmm. And so stress comes along, it hits my, and we call it a window of tolerance. And in here I can do pretty well, but as soon as it hits the top level of my window of tolerance, my nervous system kicks into that stress response. And then I can't think that clearly in addition to all kinds of other things that happen. So, so our goal is to make this window of tolerance, maybe eight or 10 or 12 inches. So here comes stress. Here comes a problem. Oh, it's just a problem. Okay. And it takes a whole lot for my nervous system to go offline. So if we practice and it's all different kinds of breathing exercises, I start out with, you know, you breathe in for four and, and out for four. You breathe in for four and then out for, for six or eight. Breathe, breathe in for four and you out, out for eight, for 10 to 12. You do that over and over and over again. And it ha- helps to calm down the nervous system. It also helps you to begin to learn to focus. Where's my mind? Oh, I just lost. Where was I? Oh, how many? Okay, so let's just start over again. Let's start again. And so this is the beginning of a, a focus exercise, a relaxation exercise, a meditation exercise. And then we move on from there into mindfulness. And, and, and so we start with the, the body and then, then we start with the thoughts. Mm. And is, how there, to change. is there a simple mindfulness or meditative exercise that our audience could try out for themselves? Of course. I mean, mindfulness, just to, to put a definition to it, is being present in the moment without judgment. So a simple exercise would be um, really simple. I just start to pay attention to what's coming into my awareness. So if I'm doing that right now, I'm hearing some sounds from outside. Mm-hmm. And I just sit with that. Close my eyes. Oh, I just acknowledge it. Oh, I just notice the sound. Oh, I just noticed I'm looking at John. I just noticed the background. And, and it's just a, a very simple mindfulness meditation. And then what happens over time, you do it enough, and the left side of the brain starts to calm down, quiets down. So again, we're changing brain waves mm. from this alpha state where we're, we're present and we're talking into that, you know, into that, Deeper delta, you know, delta state. It's like um, uh, I've lost you, John. I don't know where you are. <laughs> you know, I'm, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm just saying that's kind of what happens. Is kind of go into that dreamy state, and now I'm in the hypnotic state. And yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I feel calmer just listening to it. So it's, <laughs> it's good. I get that. Um, one of the things you say with with what you do as well is about integrating personal and professional lives. And I think you kind of maybe touched on some of that, but what 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 does that actually mean? What would that look like? So in my experience, you cannot take a person out of their environment and expect them to be two completely different people. We, you know, men are much better compartmentalizing than women in general, just the way our brains are, are designed. But you take yourself wherever you go. Sean Han, you know, I never didn't make that up, but it, we do take ourselves wherever we go. So if I'm at work, all of me is really at work. And so if I don't have a high tolerance for stress in general, and I haven't really trained myself in these skills, I'm going to bring that person to work. Yeah. 
And so I have a wonderful friend who's a, a business strategist. And what I love about him is the way he presents his work is this combination of the emotional self and the business self. And, you know, he's, he's actually working with one of my clients who's got millions of ideas and is really, really brilliant and creative and yet has a lot of anger underneath um, that, that hasn't been resolved. Right. Well, that anger, when, when things get really, really, you know, tight, comes out just like in a tone or just like an annoyance or, and that turns people off. So that has to be dealt with. You got to deal with that anger. You know, it may not be the job of the, you know, the manager, <laughs> but it's the job of the individual who wants to move forward in their lives and move up that ladder, perhaps whatever it looks like. You got to deal with the anger because it's, it's pouring out. And so one of the things I talk a lot about is blind spots. Mm-hmm. We all have them. And I always say, like, everybody else knows your blind spots. <laughs> Wouldn't you want to know your own? <laughs> and so that's this process of personal growth and development. And I become more aware of how I, what I put out to other people. Yeah. And so I like to say that the in, my inside self and my outside self are in alignment. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, I've, I've sometimes have talked on my podcast about some of the people who I've, I've worked with and been aware of in the past. Who like, you can see them uh, maybe in uh, public life or in their presenting mode, if you like, mm-hmm. as being high energy and really charismatic, and yet um, in private they're super introverted, really hard to talk to, and it seems like you, you feel like you're meeting two different people. Yes. Yes. So they have learned how to compartmentalize and allow that part of them to come out, you know, on stage or, but I believe that they might be more content and have more peace of mind if they were able to work on that side. It doesn't mean that an introvert is may ever love being an extrovert, Mm. but it may mean that they can become more comfortable and and they're not there's not so much stress. Yeah, kind of I, I, I get that because I I think I I tend more naturally towards introversion. I've talked about this on my podcast before, and uh, uh, you know I'm not uh, an extreme introvert, but I definitely err on that side. And yet, through presentation skills, trainings, and a lot of personal development work, I've moved moved the needle more towards being able to be more extrovert and be more engaged in life. Uh, it's still not probably not my natural place, but it's becoming more natural, and it gets easier. You know, so yeah. I can have more natural conversations on uh, a podcast, knowing that people can be watching and listening to this from anywhere, and uh, and yeah. not not really worrying about that, just being in that flow state but that that that's comes right. with, uh, with that's right and then when you want to um relax you're going to go inside you're not going to want to go and hang out with a whole bunch of people yeah. after being on podcasts all day long and, and because that's your nature right? right i like the way you said i move the needle and that's exactly what it is you know yeah. that you can you can move you know yeah. you have that 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 mental uh agility 
because yeah. otherwise I'm normally the guy who's wearing the t-shirt that says I'm sorry I'm late but I didn't want to come so. <laughs> you and my oldest son he said mom it just makes me so tired <laughs> <laughs> but there are but there are times when I do get very energized by those environments but uh, so it's, it's not I don't, I don't know if anyone really is exclusively one or the other I think we're all somewhere on scales of introvert and extrovert but uh, but that can be can be moved but I know that there are some people who I know who have um, absolutely loved quarantine time and stuff recently because they're quite happy not seeing other people and uh, yes. and I have a I have a really good friend who said you know I have found the introvert in me and she's always out there always planning always she lives in New York City she's got her calendar you know and she said I'm loving it I'm just loving it so yes we do have these different aspects of ourselves but what we're also talking about in this bigger picture is really getting to know who you are. Right. At a very, very deep level. Uh, there was a quote the other day that I heard from Mark Victor Hansen, who was the, the author of Chicken Soup of the Soul, and he and his wife wrote a new book. And she said, um, uh, life is created from the inside. And I just love that. Life is created from the inside. Because what happens with so many people when life gets tough is they blame other people. You know, you know, oh, if only he were to do this and if only she were to do that, my life would be, you know, it's really from the inside. If I behave differently, right. you know, if I know myself, if I put myself in these situations, you know, then my life will change. People used to say to me all the time, oh, Tina, you're so lucky. You work for yourself. You know, this is not luck. <laughs> this is by design. Yeah. And, um, and many times over the years, I should have, you know, got, gotten myself employed, <laughs> but I just, I'm unemployable. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but I think after a time, you know, I, I worked as an employed person for most of my life. And um, you know, when, when I made the move to becoming self-employed over time, you know, it was, for me, it was a bit of a tough transition. I went through some yeah, rough times. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I say I could have very easily given up and gone back into employment at some points. But um, but over time, you know, like yourself, I, I would find it very hard to go into uh, a full-time employment for someone else now because I, I lead my own creativity. I do things my own in my own style. I, I can express myself in many ways through what I do professionally uh, in ways that, I don't believe I would be able to do if uh, if someone else was uh, someone else was in charge. You know? And I love collaboration. It's not that I'd like to work alone all the time because mm -hmm. I'm an extrovert by nature um, and I have my introverted side. But I love people. Obviously, I'm in, in the people business. They fascinate me. They always have. Um, but I don't do well if I don't respect somebody that's on top. You know, that's my authority. Yeah. <laughs> so, therefore. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to ask you a bit about your speaking, about keynote speaking, because a big theme of my podcast is presentation skills and public speaking. So where did that start for you? You know, it's funny. It started, um, I think, always as a dream for years. I, I just always, I found it very easy to be in front of people. And, so, and I liked it. And that's why I like being in front of the classroom. I like doing those kinds of things. But it wasn't until I, I, everywhere I would go and I would listen to a really good speaker and I would just kind of ask them, frequently many women, and I'd say, like, 
you, you so could, could completely tell the difference between somebody who had some level of training and because they were so natural yeah. <laughs> to somebody that didn't. And so I would just go at, you know, like 30 some years ago, like, where did you learn to do Toastmasters? Right. And, you know, and then I would ask another person a couple years later, and then where did you learn to speak like that? Because you know, I, I really wanted that skill. And they said, Toastmasters. I said, hmm. So it was always in the back of my mind. And when I moved to New York City, which was um, how many years ago? 15 years ago, uh, somebody invited me to a Toastmasters club. And so I think you and I had talked about this. This was like one of the number one, there was, there was a kind of a competition between two different clubs, but I thought mine was the number one club in the city. Yeah. And it was in uh, the law building in New York City of the, of the, uh, yeah, the, the bar association. So it was this beautiful old building in, in, in Midtown and you would, and the room that we, uh, we met was, you know, had portraits all along the wall and there was this long table you know, and people sat around. And so when you got up to speak, there was an eloquence to it. There was, you know, there was a, an environment that was set. So the first meeting I went to was an alumni meeting. This is what somebody had invited me to. So this was, and this club had been in existence for 40 some years. And they brought back people that were just unbelievable speakers. Yeah. One after the other, after the other. And I said, oh my God, I could never, you know, if I could only learn to speak like that. And, and so I joined the club and um, it was just my best teacher because it was a very, very high powered group. Again, I like high powered people who were very successful and they had been, they never left the club. They still never leave the club. These are people <laughs> that just, you know, many people graduate and move on to other things, but it was a family. Yeah. And so my greatest, um, you know, kind of thing that happened is they invited me to come back as an alumni to speak um, maybe three years later. And I still have that speech and I still go back and look at it sometimes and say, well, you, you were pretty good there, you know? And so, so I learned to do, I learned to be a Toastmaster, but then I was wanting to use my um, speaking for my business. Yeah. So that's when I started with the tennis business. And, and, and then I, <laughs> I did a training, a, a workshop here when I first moved to California and we had 50 some people that uh, it was a tennis, it was a tennis thing. And, and we had, somebody had invited all these people for us, basically. It was their mailing list and they had invited all these people. And I didn't know that I was going to be in a gym and I didn't have a microphone. And the way, and we designed the program that we, I would talk for a little bit and then my husband would take them out on the tennis court and then they were to come back and then I was going to sell them my program. My husband took them out in the tennis court. First of all, the people couldn't hear me. Then he took them out in the tennis court. And out of the 50 people, I must have had about 10 that came back because they got on the tennis court and nobody wanted to leave. <laughs> so I walked away with not one sale. Not, and the, it, was, it was botched from every, every single aspect. So I said, well, that's great. Now I need to learn how to sell and speak. Yeah. And so I started working with a, a, a very, very experienced business coach who that was what, that was his main way that he, you know, kind of got clients for his business and he had worked with Tony Robbins and been on stage with Richard Branson and all these really great guys. So 
I started working with him and training how to use the skills of speaking and also engage people in wanting to take my program. Yeah. So there's speaking, keynote speaking, and then there's speaking to sell. What, what are some of the differences that you learned about speaking to sell that were important? Well, the main, the main thing was that you wanted your audience to know in many different ways that you had this program. So if I, you and I were talking and I would say, in my program, Mastering Under Pressure, I have this exercise, a focus exercise. And then, so it's like seeding, they call it seeding, seeding the audience. And I, you know, uh, write this down because in my program I have blah, blah, blah. Or I'm going to tell you about, you, we're going to learn, I'll talk a little bit more about this when I tell you about my program at the end of the, so just these little phrases that you just put in that it just sounds hopefully natural without being salesy. Yeah. And the truth is, you have to love what you do so much and really believe that what you have will change people's lives so that you feel, you know, in, again, in alignment with, I want you to, I, I want to work with you. You know, I want you to buy my program, but I want to help you. And so that's, so it's more than just the words. It's the energy of the way that you project that. And then the most important thing, and I, that was one of the hardest things for me to sort of remember at the end, is called the handoff. Right. So here's the end of the program. I'm loving it. You're loving me. We're engaged. We're having this great thing. And then people leave. Oh, my God, I didn't get their names. Right. <laughs> I don't know how to get in touch with them. Because once it's over, it's over. Yeah. And so at the very, you have to really plan and remember what is that call to action that you're going to ask people at the very end. And so, and, and that you have something to offer and the way that you offer, that's a whole other thing. You know, and, and it's changed a lot because there's a whole model, you know, in terms of like how I'm going to, you know, this is the price and then, but today's price is sure. blah, blah, blah. And if you sign up today, then, you know, and being able to pull that off with really not feeling like people are being pressured and using that. So there's all these elements of sales, yeah, sales and negotiation and that, that you've got in there that, um, that feel authentic. And because nobody likes to be sold to. Sure. But as, uh, as it Michael Porter says, but they don't like to be sold to, but they like to be invited. Yes. And that's a great way. That, that's a great way of doing it. And this guy that I worked with, his name is Kane Minkus. Kane was absolutely positively brilliant, you know, that he would just get people lined up, you know, how many of you want to do this and how many are ready to make a decision and how many are not. And, and then he would just, and he knew exactly how many if he had X number of people in the audience, he knew exactly how many he was going to convert. And his numbers were, he was just brilliant. Really, really. Yeah. So I had a great teacher. Yeah. And then I, over time, you know, I did so many talks that I learned to develop my own style. You know, that was Kane's style. And he was very male and very, you know, very direct and yeah. very clear. And, 
And so I'm, that's not me. Um, I'm, I'm a woman, you know, I sort of have a nurturing aspect to me. And also I, I, I can be very clear. So it, that was a huge learning experience. Yeah. And, and, and that really, you know, that combination of, of Toastmasters and speaking skills and, and, and also King taught a lot about how to, um, how to move into the audience, you know, just put your hand on somebody's shoulder, um, using your body really, really well. Again, eye contact and, and always keeping your energy higher than your group. Yeah. Because if your energy and, and, and picking up the energy of the room and, you know, so, uh, and, and that it comes off just like we're just having this conversation, John, you and me. So it's, it feels natural, not forced, right? Yes. They have this thing on Spanish TV, <laughs> um, and, I, and maybe it's in other countries as well, but they, on, on certain popular shows, before they come back from a commercial break, you actually see some of the hosts or people in the show having a staged conversation about a particular product or something. And it's honestly, it's the worst thing <laughs> I've ever seen on TV. I don't know why they do it. It's, it's so cringy. Uh, yeah, I guess they must be, must be getting them some kind of results, but just to have these celebs having these fake conversations that no one would ever have. It's uh, I find it a bit crazy. So yeah, being natural in these conversations, that's clearly what they're going for, but it's a big miss for me. Uh, but yeah, from, <laughs> From the stage, it's uh, from the stage. It's really important for sure. But I think I think what we're talking about, and just kind of bringing all these pieces, uh, speaking is a skill. Yeah, I mean it's a huge skill, and what I what I learned from Toastmasters early on, I had a woman when it came to for for those of your audience that are Toastmasters and know table topics and um, when you spontaneously have to answer a question, yeah. and so I would get up, somebody would call my name, I'd get up, and I asked the woman next to me, would you give me feedback when I'm done and let me know how I, how I did? So I'd sit down and she said, Tina, you know, you had your hands on the back of the chair. Um, remember to put your hands on, on your side and stand up straight. Okay, so the next week I would get called. She said, Tina, take your hands off the back of the chair. <laughs> she must have told me six times, six weeks in a row, Tina, take your hand didn't even realize it unconsciously, right? And so that was such a telling thing to me of, of the skill and, the, and getting into the unconscious, drilling it into the unconscious so that it becomes natural. And that's that whole peak about peak performance, you yeah. know, doing something and, and have it, you know, creating new habits, doing something. It takes 30 to 40 days to build a new habit when you do something every day, every day, every day, every day. And that's how you're building these neural pathways in, you know, in your brain so that when you're speaking, you can focus only on those things that we call task related cues. When I'm speaking, I'm worrying about the audience and my eye contact. Uh, I've practiced my content so much that it comes naturally to me so that I can really connect with that audience. If I haven't done that level of practice, okay, and somebody picks up their phone, oh, God, mm, they're not paying attention to me. Mm, I must not be good enough. Oh, oh, well, I've lost it. And then how quickly can I get it back? Because we have to know that we've lost it, that we can get it back. 
And so that's how all these peak performance skills come in to speaking. It's one of my favorite topics because yeah. I love speaking. Yeah, wonderful. As, as a speaker, and I, I know most of the speakers who I invite on or who I know personally as well, um, nearly always have some really good stories that they use in their presentations. Yes. Can you share with us one of yours? Oh, sure. <laughs> right off the top of my head. <laughs> um, it goes back to the Toastmasters in that, in that club that I was in. This was early on, one of my earliest speeches. And they tell you to memorize the, your opening and memorize your closing. And then in between, you know where you're going, but you can ad lib. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be exact, right? And that's what I did. So I memorized my opening, I memorized my closing. But the night before, wasn't so crazy about the opening. And so I changed it. Big mistake. Mm -hmm. right? Because my unconscious had already learned the first one. And, you know, I got in there and in this beautiful room and you're introduced and somebody introduces me and I stand behind this podium and I'm looking at this big, long, brown table and all these people and the portraits on the side and I get up there and I, and I go, um, Madam Toastmaster, whatever. And then I went completely blank, like nothing, <laughs> absolutely positively nothing. And I said, I think I'm going to start again. So, and I did, you know, and it took me a moment and I, and I started again and then it started to come back to me. Well, that was fine in an audience like that because it was a friendly audience. Sure. And I was a student, so to speak. But if I were getting paid five or $10,000 for that speech, yeah. I don't think you would have been too happy with me going, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'm just going to start again. Right? So what I learned was don't change your opening the night before you know work on it work on it work on it and once you once you've practiced it go with it because i can't be worrying about am i going to remember it or not because i don't have space for that i have to be looking at my audience so that was number one and number two is use a pause you can just pause for a moment look around smile and trust that that material will come back if you have practiced it enough. And each one of us, I think, needs to know how your brain works, how your mind works. I know how I practice. You know, for something that's a really big thing, I will, first I might write it out, but I'll outline it and I'll put it into bullet points and then I'll make the bullet points shorter and shorter. And then I'll put it, I'll, I'll type it, I'll put it on my TV <laughs> I'll tape it on the TV and I'll start and I'll talk and then I'll see how far I can get. And then I, it's, it's, I think of it like musical phrases. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you've ever been played music or sang in the chorus, yeah. right? You've got one phrase and then you've got another phrase and then you have a connector note. And those connectors are the, are really the most important thing I think in speaking that you can get from one concept to the next concept with grace yeah. that it doesn't turn into fillers and all that stuff. So I'll, I'll practice one thing and then I'll get, oh, how am I going to get from here to here? And then I'll practice it again. I'll bring in, the, you know, until I get through the whole speech. So that actually when I'm speaking and if I get lost, I can visualize the piece of paper on my TV. And I can, I can sort of know where I'm at and yeah. it'll, it'll come back to me. 
So one of the things I keep promising to do is uh, an episode on my uh, podcast about uh, memory techniques for, for public speaking. But yeah, this is a, a good way to, to help with that. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. very nicely to that, maybe for next week's episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, great stuff. As, as a speaker, though, I think for my audience and for me personally, how did you start to get paid for speaking? How, how did you move into paid speaker work? So there's a thing about, um, again, because I've been so involved in speaking and speaking in sales and using, well, let me put it differently, using speaking as a way to generate leads, right? So that became very much a a part of, if anybody's in business, if you're in business, you have to have a way of, of generating leads. And I think the most important thing is, and somebody said that I thought this was brilliant, uh, pick three things that you're willing to do and that you enjoy in order for your marketing and sales. So speaking has been very big for me. Networking has been very big for me. Yeah. And so um, I have an online presence now that I'm, I'm, I'm paying somebody to help me do because I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy sitting in front of the computer all day long, even though that's what we're doing now COVID, and god bless that we can but you know having my druthers i'd rather see you in person so getting out there a lot you know and and then people inviting you to speak and and doing a lot of speaks uh, speeches for free but if you're going to do them for free that it has that that it has to connect that this is the audience that I want to speak to. Somebody invited me to speak just the other day. And, and then she's telling, you know, and then she says, but there's a caveat, you know, I really, I asked my speakers to sell five tickets for, for this summit. So now I'm not, now, now, not, not only am I not speaking for free, you know, I'm speaking for free, but I'm now I'm paying to paying to speak. Yeah. If it were an audience that were my audience, I might have considered it. But it was not worth a $500 investment for me yeah. to speak. <laughs> right. so, <laughs> so coming back to how do you get paid to speak, um, it's, it's, you know, it's marketing, it's, it's sales, it's, it's getting people, it's credibility right. more than anything. That people need to know that you have something to share and that now again we're in we're in a whole different set of times right now with with the virus and um i think most speakers are speaking or are not getting paid for speaking right now mm-hmm. um you know this there's an organization that i belong to and the guy is a you know one of these master master speakers he booked just booked something for january um which maybe he'll get to speak uh live but you start to have guidelines for yourself and, and, you know, once somebody's willing to pay you, then the next person may be willing to pay you. And, uh, but I've had to, I, it's not even so much had to, like, I, I'll give you an example. I was just invited to speak, um, to give a class, like an hour talk on, on, to a, a group of talented entertainers, um, models and performers so it's an agency that that has a a, um, a group of people that they 
are training in the business of their art. They're all, they're all artists in some way. And so they brought me in to do an hour presentation to this group about performance and anxiety and stress and so on. And so I did that for free. Then they invited me to do a six-week class, which now they're paying me for. So actually today's the last day of the six weeks. And then I got a really good review. I love them. They love me. It was, it was great. So now I just, the owner just contacted me again. He said, I'm, I'm working on something really big. I want my assistant to make an appointment with you. So that will hopefully turn into something that's even bigger. Yeah. So I think it's being really clear about who your audience is. Number one, you know, what the market is, is doing right now. And, and to be, I think the most important thing is to be seen, to be seen, to be heard, to take these podcasts, you know, and, and, um, and, and do something with them so that people can listen. You're going to put it out. I'm going to put it out. We're going to take excerpts of it. Um, we're going to take pieces and, and then, and then give it back to you and then you'll get more people. And so the way that it, the, you know, the environment is right now is we're all helping each other and, and we're giving back. And so I don't know what it's going to look like yeah. a year from now or six months from now, but um, so I'm using again, my speaking as my lead generator. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, different different times. I, I think uh, I've been speaking to some people who work more sort of in the behind the scenes, I guess. You was like speaker management, speaker agents kind of style people. And things that they say are like, yeah, I mean, that there is work and there is like virtual, some virtual opportunities, but um, you can't just go and deliver your usual keynote. It's not going to work. So you're going to have to adapt what you're offering if you're going to go, if you're going to go down that path at all. And so, yeah. Right. So I'm very involved in a group. It's called C-Suite Network. Right. And I um, mean, it, it an advisor to the network, to, to the C-suite. So that's, so there's a lot of coaches and, and consultants that, that, and we talk all the time about, matter of fact, there's a call coming up in, you know, in a little bit about content is king. Right. And, and using your content, you know, my book, you know, this master under pressure, the book, the speaking, the, the blogs, the vlogs, the, it's, it's, it's an enormous um, undertaking. And I think, I think that's the other thing of being realistic about how much energy you have and what you're willing to put in and how many resources you, you can put together. Um, somebody, I'm going to do another podcast on somebody as, as entrepreneurship for, for small businesses. All right. okay. So I've been, I've been plugging at this for a long time. And so I'm coming at it now from much more experience, much more knowledge and, what I've learned, John, is really, <laughs> as it, somebody said to me that the difference between a sole proprietor and a founder is a founder has a team and a sole proprietor works by themselves. Mm. And I've been a sole proprietor for my whole, entire career. And so scaling out my business, being a sole proprietor it, it is easy it, in a way in comparison to what I'm trying to do now what I am doing now, you know, and what I've invested in is to, because I'm just one person and I want to make a really, really big impact because I think what I teach 
is something that as we talked about earlier that everybody can use and that can change the world. Yeah. So this is uh, the next part of your evolution. That's right. That's right. So, Fantastic. Exciting times. And it's fun. It's still fun. <laughs> Uh, well, that that's, that always helps, right? I mean, if you enjoy what you're doing, I think if, you know, if I didn't enjoy doing this podcasting, it wouldn't be happening. You know, it's like I, I have a lot of have a lot of fun doing it, and still work working hard on building up the listenership. But it's you know, it's a work in progress. I've already been told it generally takes about two years to build up to the kind of listenership you want. So it means just got to stick with it and uh, it. keep checking your stats and keep doing and, it. And that's, I think that that is the, um, the key, you know, it's, 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 um, it's working harder, not smarter. It's working smarter rather than harder, right. but you have to have, um, you have to be persistent. I like never give up. It's like, for me, it's like not even an option. Um, there are time, many times I said, <laughs> really? <laughs> You're really doing, you know, but um, I think I'm doing what I've des- I was designed to do. Yeah. We, we nearly all have those times where we want to quit. And, you know, generally the only thing we really learn about ourselves is if we do that, is that we're quitters. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't really help. And, and yet I think as well, we also have that tendency to, to think never, things never move as fast as you want them to move. Right. So, I mean, that's exactly right. Nearly always going to take you longer than you think. And I think, I think it's Peabody's rule or something like that that says, uh, um, even when you take into consideration that things take longer than you think, they take longer than you think. And um, that, that's just one of those things. I, I work with that with clients a long time, saying, you know, be persistent, keep with it, keep taking yeah. action, keep moving forward. It takes time to get the results that you want to get, but keep learning from people, keep increasing your network and uh, and keep doing all the things that are going to help you grow you will get there but this uh, period or like I look at it like the stages from in um in what's the word unconscious incompetence through to Mm -hmm. conscious competence like the conscious um sorry unconscious competence the conscious competence stage where it's like where you know what you're doing but you you still have to really think about it you're not in that flow state yet you're not in that mastery state um that's the longest part of all of it so you move from not knowing what you're doing to knowing what you're doing and learning it but whilst you're mastering the basics and all of that, it takes the longest time. To, but only those who stick with it get through to that level of unconscious competence where you don't really have to think about it. Sometimes that process can be really quick. Like I think learning to drive, that probably the process right. to right. unconscious competence is, is fairly fast usually there. But in other areas like business, it's, it's not. It, it takes a lot longer. <laughs> It takes a long time. And I always say, because I started over so many times and I started, you know, the shortest doing my private practice, I started five private practices from scratch. I would move to a new city. I didn't know a soul and I would just start from nothing. So the shortest time was seven months and the longest was a year and a half, but it was a very finite thing that I was doing. It was, you know, the internet was not involved very much or it was just as a, a referral source and, and so that was, as I said, not, it wasn't complicated. Yeah. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't complicated. Scaling your business is complicated because there's so many moving parts that have to be working in concert, you know, and a wonderful thing that one of my friends said, if it's not your genius, it's not your job. 
And there's so many things in business that are not my genius that I had to, you know, and that's where I lost a lot of money. I invested in people that really I shouldn't have, you know, I thought at the time it was been. And so all those learning curves and expenses and, um, but now I, now getting to this unconscious consciousness, you know, competency, I, I, I see it and I, I, I can see it. And so like, no, I'm not really, your audience is not my audience. I'm, I'm not, that's not where I'm going to put my money. You know? yeah. And then I have a team now. I don't make any financial decisions without the team really supporting me that this is a really good choice. So helping me with my blind spots, things that I can't see, things that I don't know. And, um, and that takes a lot of vulnerability because a lot of people are like, oh, I can do this myself. And I, no, really. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. You know, I, I coach a lot of clients with businesses and the, these are conversations we often end up having and saying, you know, really that your goal as a business owner should be to, that your business can work without you. And that's why as, uh, right. I've particularly loved, I'm, um, working with tools from people like Mike Michalowicz and uh, and you know got to got to actually have a, a chat with him a little while ago as well. But you know he that he has a whole thing about uh, the clockwork system of taking yourself out of your business. And I know um, T. Harv Eker, who I've worked with for a long time. I do. Too. I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I do coaching for for half for for the last ten years or so. And uh, one of the things that that he was is is like if you're um, if you're working in your business and not on your business, you have a job. You don't have a business. You have a job. And I think it's like, uh, absolutely right. Get rid of everything that isn't your expertise, everything that isn't your joy as well in your business, and pass that on. And only do the stuff that you absolutely have to do yourself. And, yeah, I think that's really sound, really sound business advice. But it's a process. <laughs> yes, it is a process. And you cannot make it go any faster than it's going to go. There's too no. many things. It's just... But it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a, been a real delight speaking to you, and I want to start bringing things to, to a bit of a close for us today. But I do always like to ask my guests, first of all, where they can find out more about you, where they, where they can find out more about <laughs> Mastery Under Pressure. Absolutely. So you can write to me, uh, tina at masteryunderpressure.com. You can find my book on Amazon. It's mastery under pressure. Everything is mastery under pressure. You just <laughs> type it in and, and you'll find me. And, um, and my website is masteryunderpressure.com. Perfect. Wonderful. Now, I do always like to ask my guests for a book recommendation. Now, you have your, your own book of Mastery Under Pressure, which people should definitely go and check out. I know I will be. What book, when someone says to you, hey, Tina, what's a good book? What's a, what would you okay. recommend? Okay, so, I, you know, when you ask me, this is the one that I love. <laughs> I know I've not read this one I've not had this recommended before The Road Less Stupid Who, who's that by? Keith Cunningham and actually he's a buddy of Harv Hard, Eckers that's how I met him oh yeah and, yeah I know um, Harv and Keith know each other pretty well and, and this is just a wonderful in your face book it's about business but again you can't take the person out of the business and uh, he's just got a wonderful way of using his own mis the mistakes that he's made and Again, I, I did years and years of Harvecker training, so I've heard many, many, many of those stories, and, and I don't think he had one person on there who was ever a millionaire that didn't go bankrupt at some time and right. then pull themselves back up again. And, and um, so Keith Cunningham uses a lot of his own experiences, and, and it's just very sound, very clear uh, advice for business owners 
a lot of the things that we've been talking about and from a sole proprietor, you know, one person business to a multi-million dollar business, the elements of business are the same. Yeah. And it's the same thing in personal development. You know, no matter where you are on that scale, you know, a, a whole person that's working really well, there are certain things that are working really well that you have learned these skills and, and we work. So I love the combi- I really do love the combination of the, of the individual in the business yeah. making a difference. Yeah, I love it. Okay, it's going on my reading list. That's good, <laughs> on my wish yeah. list at least. And uh, to wrap things up for today, you shared lots of great insights, knowledge, information with us. So I really appreciate you for that. What are some closing thoughts that you would like to leave for our audience? So people ask me this all the time, if I were going to bring things down into one sentence or one idea, when you're feeling pushed or pressed or pressured, or the question I always ask myself is what's in my control? What's out of my control? It's the number one question that very quickly brings everything into focus. And and, and I, I get to know what I can control. Okay, so if I have some a piece in this, I can, even if I can't control the behavior, I can't control the virus, I can't control any of these external things, but I can control my attitude. I control the way I think about it, where I put my attention, that I can control. And so that's, I think, a foundational question that um, if people start to use that, their lives can just switch. You switch one thing and then the whole quantum field changes. Yeah. I, I use that principle in my own life a lot. I think there's uh, lo- some lovely thoughts to finish up on today. Tina, we're going to have all the information for how people can find out more about you and your program and your book in the show notes as well. And I really want to just thank you. It's been a delight to speak to you today. You've been a wonderful guest on the show, and I know that we'll stay in touch from this Absolutely. as well. I, I really appreciate everything you shared with us today and all your time as well. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure you like and subscribe to get updates of future episodes as well. I have an amazing episode coming up with the amazing Dr. Joanna Martin. She is a public speaking expert and she also now focuses her work in leadership for women. She has an incredible business going called One of Many and we had an amazing conversation, so don't miss that. Many other amazing guests coming up, including more in the series of comedy and humor with some professional comedians coming up too. So please make sure you are subscribed to the show for those shows. If you have any feedback for us, or if you think you'd make a great guest, or you'd like to hear someone particularly on the show, then get in touch, john at presentinfluence.com by email, or leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.